Thank you once again, Jenny, for that song to lead into the meditation this evening. And when I talked about our many, uh, many people who help with our musical talent here, I think I neglected to mention uh, Pastor Bill Rotar, who's leading our hymns tonight and sang that magnificent song a couple minutes ago as well. We have a lot of great musical talent here, and I am not one of them. Uh, if you want to empty a church, you just have me sing. So I want to emphasize that, uh, that song for just a moment. Mary, did you know? I don't know if you notice. Uh, the beautiful words in that, in that song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. She delivers the, the baby right then and there. And then 33 years later, through his death on the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection, he's the ultimate deliverer for Mary and all of us. He's the Savior. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod. Now that is a packed phrase or sentence right there. You look at your little baby as she's rocking him to sleep, looking in baby Jesus' face, realizing this baby has walked where angels trod. When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. The incarnation means that God took on flesh, so baby Jesus is God in the flesh. Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Colossians 1, 15 through 20 gets into that, that through Jesus, all of creation came about. That Jesus is eternally existed. In Revelation, it says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And John 1, 1 and following talks about Jesus being there in the beginning. God just took on flesh in the incarnation. It's not Jesus' beginning. It's not Jesus' beginning. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Isaiah 9 talks about Jesus being the eventual Prince of Peace, mighty Savior, everlasting God. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? We needed a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus became that perfect sacrifice, heaven's perfect lamb. The lamb of God is what John the baptizer said when he saw Jesus. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now I do believe to some extent Mary did know. Mary grew up as a young Jewish girl. She would have been schooled and taught all the prophecies of the Old Testament going back, all the prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior they were waiting for. I want to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 and verse 19. Luke 2, 1 through 7 and verse 19. A passage reads, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I want to skip down to verse 19 of that same chapter, which says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. We have the birth narrative of Jesus right there, which I just read. And then in between verse 7 and verse 18, we would have the angels going to visit the shepherds. And the shepherds go to worship Jesus as well. And then it says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured them all, pondering them in her heart. What do you think it means to ponder? To ponder means to think about something carefully. I would maybe add, to meditate on something. All these things came about to bring the birth of Jesus, and Mary pondered them. She thought about them. She meditated on them. She stored them up in her heart. Everything that took place to bring about the Christ child, she stored them up in her heart. When we look at verse 19 and we notice that Mary is pondering these things in her heart, we must notice that Mary's life has changed a lot. Let me ask you, have you ever gone through a dramatic life change? A dramatic life change. I would bargain that we have all gone through dramatic life changes. Maybe you've gone through a move from one city to another, from one country to another, from one area to another. That's a dramatic life change. Maybe you've gone through the diagnosis of an illness. That's a dramatic life change. Maybe you've gone through a career change. That's a dramatic life change. Maybe you've um, had a baby or adopted a baby or, or helped uh, be the caretaker uh, for a baby or someone else. That's a dramatic life change. I think of when our oldest, Mercedes, who's now seven, was uh, born. She's right there, and she's behaving good right now because she knows I will call her out. And... Um, Fourth row. When she turned, when she was first born, she was born. She's seven now. During her uh, pregnancy, we moved twice. We moved from Cincinnati to Louisville, Ohio, and then from Louisville, when Megan was seven months pregnant, we moved from Louisville to Alliance, Ohio, and then September first of that year, Mercedes was born. And I realized on Mercedes' second night that sleep will never be the same again. I cannot believe that child. She just did not want to sleep. She still doesn't want to sleep. She likes to get up at 6 a.m. I can get up. A dramatic life change. Jumping back to the text, Mary had gone through a dramatic life change. A dramatic life change. She went through a dramatic life change in order to be the mother of Jesus. And I think as, you know, all those events came about in the year or even more than a year before Jesus' birth, Mary is pondering them in her heart. She's thinking about them. She's reflecting them. She's meditating on them. And I believe the changes from the previous year, all of these events came about, and they are part of the true meaning of Christmas. All of these life changes which Mary went through were there in order, in order to bring Jesus into the world. Mary must have been pondering who Jesus is and what is the significance of this baby. She knew to some extent, I think she probably knew to a large extent, because she knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. But Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel to announce the birth of the Messiah. I don't know if there's any of you who were visited by an angel before you gave birth to your child. Didn't happen to us. But as I speak about these life changes that Mary went through, I ask you to ponder, 
ponder, consider, just like Mary pondered, I ask for you to ponder who Jesus is to you. In the busyness of the Christmas season, I encourage you to slow down, either now or later or both, and ponder who Jesus is to you. Reflect on who Jesus is to you. Reflect on who Jesus is. Jumping into the life changes, though it is not actually recorded in the Bible, we know that at some point Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And that is, uh, for sure, the first of the life changes that Mary went through in order to be the mother of Jesus. She was engaged to Joseph. Now, that is the first part of the Christmas story. The first part of the Christmas story, at least as recorded in our Bible, is the engagement of Joseph to Mary. Now, if you really want to be theological te theologically technical, and I know some of you are there, you're just looking for a theological heir, we could argue that the first part of the Christmas story is Genesis 3.15. Because in Genesis 3, we have the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. That sin caused a separation between us and God. And in Genesis 3.15, we have the first prophecy that God would send a Savior, that God would send a Deliverer in Genesis 3.15. But for the sake of our normal Christmas story, the first step is this engagement between Mary and Joseph. A Jewish engagement would last about a year, and a Jewish engagement was legally binding. It was legally binding. Even though it's just an engagement, you know, we can break off our engagements. It wasn't that easy back then. It was a legally binding thing. And for a woman to be found, for a woman to be found pregnant during her engagement period, and the father not to be her fiancé, would be considered adultery. It would be adultery. While engaged to be married to Joseph, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, and she's told that she will give birth to God's son. Mary is told she will be the mother of the Son of God. She's to be the parent of the future and eternal King of Israel. Mary would have understood that. She knew the prophecies about the Messiah. She knew that he would, he would be the, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Savior. Now, as Jesus is born, Mary must be pondering those words from the angel Gabriel. She must be reflecting on them and thinking on them. Just like Mary pondered those words, I ask you to do the same. Who is Jesus to you? Is this baby born king of your life? What's Christmas all about? It's about Jesus, the king of your life. In the events leading up to Jesus' birth, Mary's cousin, that would be Elizabeth, gives birth in her old age. Mary's cousin Elizabeth, that's recorded in Luke chapter 1. Here is a man and woman with no children and past childbearing years, yet God communicates to them that they will have a son, and this is fulfilled in, in, um, in the birth later on. Mary must have been pondering the events surrounding her nephew, John the Baptizer's birth. As we ponder these miracles, I ask you to do the same. Ponder these miracles. Ponder the, 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 the Christmas story and its meaning to you. What do you think of all these miracles leading up to Jesus' birth? After Mary was found to be pregnant, she had to tell her fiancé, Joseph, what was going on. So she tells him that she's pregnant and the Father is God, for she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now think about that for just a moment. We don't know the exact verbiage she used to tell Joseph that she's pregnant, but we do know that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 19, it says that, that Joseph was going to divorce Mary quietly. Now, Joseph could do that because a Jewish engagement was legally binding, and it looked like Mary had committed adultery. 
Now, we have to give Joseph a break here. Being pregnant by the Holy Spirit is not an everyday occurrence, is it? It's never happened before, never happened again. It's the only time. Thankfully, an angel also visited Joseph, and he stayed with Mary through the birth of Jesus and the upbringing of Jesus. As Mary looked at her new baby, she must have pondered the events keeping her engagement intact. She must have thought on, reflected on the events keeping the marriage intact. So, there were more events which happened in Mary's life leading up to the birth of Christ. I ask again to you, ponder these events. What do these mean? What is the significance of Christ that all of the events came together for Jesus' birth? What is the significance of Christ? In the weeks or days before Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem because of a census. We have that recorded. We just read it. Perhaps Mary knew the prophecy that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Do you realize that was prophesied as well? Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, even his birthplace was prophesied and fulfilled. I wonder if that might be something that Mary pondered. The significance of Jesus, that even his birth was prophesied. Now Mary is about to give birth to the Son of God, yet they are in Bethlehem looking for a place to stay. But with the census going on, there are surely plenty of people traveling, and there's no place to stay. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says there was no room for them in the inn. The inn was probably a place for travelers to stay, maybe a house with extra rooms or something like that. So Mary gives birth in a barn. Luke doesn't mention any animals, but they could have been there since she gives birth in a place that housed animals. Mary lays baby Jesus in what we, call, what we would call feeding trough. Mary must have pondered the location she was at given who she gave birth to. If you were to ponder this same thing, what do you think? Isn't it amazing that Jesus came identifying with those common, ordinary, everyday people? He wasn't born at a palace. But there was still more to ponder. Later on, of course, we see uh, the angels visit the shepherds. The shepherds go to worship Jesus as well. And we have a lot to ponder too, don't we? Ponder this. All of these events came together, and this is what Christmas is all about. God became a man to save us. We call it the Incarnation. One raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to a window and watched as tiny shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched, the farmer bundled up and trudged through fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in a corner, and sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics, circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them, retreating to his house to see if they'd flutter into the barn on their own. Nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. The birds could not understand that he actually desired to help. He withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought hit him like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole principle of the incarnation. The incarnation is the idea that God took on flesh, which is Jesus. 
A man's becoming a bird is nothing compared to God's becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. One of the most exciting things that you can do this Christmas season is also to make it your spiritual birthday. We celebrate Jesus' birthday, and I ask you to ponder, who is Jesus to you? Some of you are here, and you've been Christians for years. Some of you are here, and maybe you were following Jesus, and you backslid, and you've fallen away. Some of you are here because it's what you do on Christmas Eve. Some of you are here for family. Some of you are doubters. I encourage you not to ignore those doubts, nor be afraid of those doubts, nor think that those doubts are a bad thing. The great author C.S. Lewis once said, doubts are common to man. I encourage you to chase down those doubts. I encourage you to read uh, different things that, that can um, help clarify the faith for you, help chase down those doubts. And I would love to be a resource for you. I would love to help you go through a work such as Mere Christianity or The Case for Christ or The Case for the Creator or Evidence that Demands a Verdict or a number of other things like that. But I will say one other thing about that right now. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, over 300 fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Over 300 prophecies. And that's a startling thing. The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. And that's God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. God created us to be in a relationship with him. But our sins, which are those wrong things we do, they separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. We see through the rest of the Old Testament that sins cannot be removed by good works. Our good works aren't enough because we still have those sins to take care of. So we see in the Gospels that paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. It's like if you're standing at the foot of the cross, your sins go from you to him. He became the perfect sacrifice because he was sinless. We see through the rest of the New Testament that everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life is eternal means being with Jesus forever. Jesus gives us eternal life, but he also gives us a fuller life right now. And the Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ and our relationship with Christ and how one becomes a Christian. The first is confess. We need to confess that we need Jesus, that we have sinned and we need a Savior. The second is believe. We need to believe in Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Confess and believe. We also need to commit and trust. God calls us to commit to Jesus, to commit our lives to him. I'm going to pray at this time before our next uh, special music. And I'm going to pray just a general prayer of commitment. But I also encourage you, if you're sitting there and you would like to commit to Jesus today, I'm going to give a prayer that you could echo just in your head to Jesus. You're not saved through a prayer, but you're saved through what's in your heart, though. Let us pray together right now. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for coming and being born in Bethlehem and knowing that you came to die. You came to live 33 years a sinless life and then to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Jesus, if there's people here who have not committed their life to you, may today be the day of salvation. And may they respond telling you this simple prayer. Lord Jesus... I recognize that I've sinned and I need a Savior. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you right now and trusting in you. Jesus, help us all living for you and worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, share it with somebody. If you have questions about the faith, I would love to talk to you anytime. 
At this point, I'm going to begin the lighting of the candles for our uh, silent night. As I begin uh, lighting them, I'm going to light the first pew, the first person in that pew, and then you can just kind of pass the light down and back. And we're going to have Annie and Jacob uh, play special music, and then we'll sing Silent Night. <laughs> 